everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Coach Mike Boyle is easily one of the most entertaining guests that we've had on Power Athlete Radio. This is his second time joining us, and he has no problem battling the bullshit on social media and calls out so-called coaching influencers daily. That is, if he can find the time to do so. If you visit Mike's Instagram page, you'll notice that his bio states he is, quote, actually coaching every day. This week, he gives some incredible advice with regards to coaching youth athletes and the growing number of adults who are hopping on the athletic training bandwagon. He's opinionated, experienced, and no bullshit, just the way we like our guests. Here it is, episode 351. It's podcast time, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. That's three right there, baby. That's right. This is Power Athlete Radio. I am Luke. Tex. Big guys over here. John. John Wellborn, a friend of the podcast. <laughs> Never gets old. Uh, featured guest, I believe, is how we... Uh, actually, somebody sent me a book today, and it was uh, John Wellborn A. got sent the book, and I was like... Was some... it, did it have an accent on the E? No, but they missed the U, so it was W-E-L-B-O-R-N-E. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they actually misspelled it twice. Mm-hmm. Why not Google it? <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't feel know. like it's that difficult. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, lot of, lots of ins, lots of outs, lots of what-have-yous. What's that Jason Bourne line? Oh my God! It's Jason. Jesus Bourne. Christ! It's Jason Bourne. <laughs> it's <something>. well born. <laughs> <laughs> what um, was that in when the guy uh, when all of a sudden he comes and he's like, "Oh my God! It's Jason Bourne." It's Jason effing Bourne. <laughs> I um, don't know. I think it's just a one of the newest. Was it actually in the movie or people just making fun <laughs> I think of it? It's a meme. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's awesome. Every rendition of it is fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. But today, speaking of fantastic, we have a special podcast guest. It's been a few years since we last talked to Mr. Mike Boyle, strength coach extraordinaire. Interesting to hear how his perspective has changed, but the principle of battling the BS has not. He thinks it's actually our duty to go and troll. I love how prickly he is on social media. Oh yeah, and I and I I didn't say it or in the in the uh, interview, I didn't really bring it up. But I'm always like, man, this dude is so prickly, mm-hmm. and yet when you talk to him. He's super nice. So then you got to like imagine it coming out like that. You know what I yeah. mean? Because we have that like, on the feed sometimes where you're like, hey, <sighs> listen, guys, I know I was very direct and abrupt, but imagine <laughs> talking to me in person. Like, I'm just answering your question, right? Well, I think, uh, one, we can't put in any inflection that there's no you know context for things. And I think sometimes when you come off and don't like pre, you know, put like the, the required prerequisites of like, Hey, I'm just trying to help here. Or like, you know, Hey, this might, you know, instead of just being like very direct, uh, I also appreciate his ability just to call people out and just be like, Hey man, this is nonsense. And I disagree. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he speaks from a, a position of authority. And I think when you speak from a p- position of authority, there's this kind of idea, I think on social media where it's like, I'm a fraud, you're a fraud. Let's not out each other as fraud. So we can mm-hmm. both be frauds together. And this dude's like, fuck that. Totally, man. And we're going to jump into it. But first, it's mid-March. Your resolutions have failed. Your ni- your 90-day guaranteed programs have expired. I thought uh, with 
St. Patrick's Day coming up, people would have at least been training for St. Patrick's Day, which mm-hmm. in power I, athlete land is our Super Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a different kind of training, John. I've mm-hmm. been up in my intake of Irish fuel, diesel, mm-hmm. Guinness, <laughs> and I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I mean, we have a pretty interesting legacy of everywhere they go, they close it shortly thereafter. Yes. So I'm on the hunt for a, a business <laughs> on the verge of quitting mm. and we're going to shut it down again. And let's just say last year's St. Patrick's Day. Was it was we last year th- when we went to Fado's? Yeah. No. Uh, two years no, ago. No, we did. Uh, 2017 Darcy's was Fado. The day before. Because so two years ago, remember, I got into a flex off with like uh, like a, I guess, what's the politically correct term? Dwarf bodybuilder. Remember that, dude? At Darcy's Donkey? No, no, Fado's out on the patio after the fish hooks. I got a picture of it. But if oh. you're going to get into a drunken flex off on St. Patrick's Day, you need is some it, sound strength and conditioning. Is that when we took off running uh, for Ashley's car and Spanton went into the uh, the center divider? We? It's the fastest I've ever seen John Wellboard sprint and lower <laughs> a shoulder in a long time. And it was just a smash. Dave into a barry barricade in front of like a bunch of horse cops. <laughs> that well, laugh came out, and then you just went in the car and drove away. And, well, it was plastic, which was funny because as I hit him, his whole body went in it and it flexed and moved and then and then uh, catapulted him back. And then I went over and picked him up and I was like, dude, I can't believe you fell down. What happened? He's like I don't know what happened. I was just Something running, and next me. thing, <laughs> something <laughs> bit me. <laughs> and then later on, like it was like a week later, he's like did you push me into that barrier? I'm like, yeah, totally. Oh, he's yeah, like, why? hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, he's like, why? I'm like, ah, I'd like to get drunk and break things. Mm-hmm. Things that are fragile, Dave, things that are fragile. Like you, let me see your little hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But ladies and gentlemen, that's right. This episode is brought to you by shameless self-promotion power athlete training. Ooh, that's right. We have Ooh, eight like that. daily tra- training programs that are, are built for anyone who ever wants to lift up a dumbbell or a barbell, get jacked, get in shape, work out on their own schedule. We, we have a protocol that fits the need. You're not ready for a full daily training program. We've got a couple bolt-ons for you. Little finishers like Johnny bod, or we've got the starters like iron flex, which is our warm up movement protocol. So just to make it easy, if you need some world-class guidance, Delivered to the palm of your hand via world-class technology, head to powerathletehq.com slash training and see the training tracks we have available. And if you're confused, take a little survey. We'll make a recommendation for you based off a few questions or a few answers, technically. We'll ask questions and recommend off the answers. So anything else on that, boys? No, I'm excited. Let's introduce our guest, Mr. Mike Boyle. Prickly social media warrior. Well, influencer. Influencer. Prickly <laughs> social media influencer, a.k.a. Mike Boyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's do it. You guys ready? Go. Mike, what's going on, man? Nice to talk to you again. It's nice to talk to you guys. I can't believe it's been four years. It didn't. When I got the email, I would not. I, I would have actually bet really good money that it wasn't four years. So. Seems like it was just yesterday. Just a couple young kids on this thing called podcast just mm-hmm. trying to make an honest thing of it well yeah i guess a a good amount has changed for us since 2016 we moved out of southern california we're now headquartered in austin texas uh you can see that we're uh we're recording from a legitimate podcast studio instead of like a really um, crappy office well i mean the office was fine but the 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 acoustics perhaps weren't uh (laughs) the, the most optimal for 
audio content. Uh, I'll give you that. I'll but hell, you, you guys, either it's either you guys are getting really soft. Or you've, uh, it's really cold in Austin because you guys got like flannel shirts and vests and stuff on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you just mentioned that. We were talking we're, we about. We are getting soft. How is the, like, the concrete floor in, in our office is piped in directly to an iceberg? Like, <laughs> it's uh, like the other day I was in here and I was wearing just fans and I'm like, man, like, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to start wearing boots in here. This is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is defying the laws of physics in the sense that, like, the cold air actually rises. From the floor. <laughs> Too much time in warm weather makes you soft. That's what I'm convinced. Of. Yeah, uh, who, yeah. Who are we complaining to? What's? I mean, it's got to need a good winter to make you appreciate Austin, Texas. <laughs> yeah. What's that like? 40, 45 degrees? Uh, no, like, uh, like I, I think the the thing which makes you appreciate this a little bit because I was like, man, it's cold, and then as I was walking down, I was thinking. Man, I'm going to be asking that in about four months. I'm going to be like, God damn, I wish it was cold. Yeah, because when it was like, what? like we, Careful what you wish for, right? Yeah, we had like 100 days over 100 last year. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's like, it's funny. Yeah, that's what the beauty of New England is, uh, the seasons. You know, we mm-hmm. might have got, we've actually, only in the last couple of years have we, have I seen hundreds in my adult life. We have not had that here much. Mm-hmm. But the last couple of years, we, we flirted on occasion with, you know, 100, 101, 102. So I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm not a big guy. I don't want to get into the political conversation of global warming, but something is strangely happening. Here. Cause we haven't had, we've had practically no snow this winter. Yeah, no, the climate is changing. I will definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go with global warming. I'm going to go with climate change. Like the climate is changing now, whether or not it's man-made or not. I have no, uh, no ability to discern that. Something is going on. Mm-hmm. So well, let's talk about strength and conditioning. I think whoever's listening to this podcast and said, they're going to talk about the weather for an hour? Like, that's terrible. That's pretty standard for Honestly, us. Honestly, they wouldn't be shocked if they listened this long. Um, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I guess we do owe them a, a good talk on, you know, strength and conditioning, which is why we brought you on, man. I mean, it's – I can't remember where where we left off, but what what's changed on your end of, of uh, things, Mike? How, how's everything going with the gym? How's it going with the athletes? Everything is going good. I mean, I think – it's funny what's changed. If you think about what's changed for us over the last four years, probably, I think we continue to move more into adult fitness and that's just a kind of ever evolving trend. I think probably 10 years ago, we would have been seeing 90% athletes. Now we're very firmly at 50, 50. So we've got 50% of our clients are, what you know what I would say, you know, normal people somewhere in between you guys and me, somewhere between, you know, 30 and 60 is a really big demographic for us. And the other thing we're seeing is a lot more middle school kids. We're seeing a Sweet. lot more sixth, seventh, eighth graders. We used to have a business that was built probably nine months out of the year around high school kids looking to make a high school team. That was the kind of demographic that we had. And that demographic is sort of continually evolving. Wow. What, uh, what do you think the, the cause is that, um, you know, people are taking their fitness more seriously. People are, you know, starting to transition from this idea of, or fitness to performance, which is, I think what we're really seeing in the last couple of years, I think I'll, I'll use the, the C word, um, not cunt, but CrossFit. Um, you know, you I, I, line. I was just going to say that I said, I'm going to use the C word. I can't believe you stuts. One of my favorite lines, but you're right. I think it's I might have stolen it from you, so I'm going to... John Wellborn? Uh, no, like I, <laughs> uh, I'm i pretty sure I, th- I think you might have said that, but we always talk about the C word, especially with like the NSCA or, you know, Nate Palin, those guys. I'm like, oh, the C 
fancy word, Mike, not cunt. And, um, <laughs> worse, but I, I think <laughs> yeah, way worse. Uh, what I think, uh, the C word did was it kind of made fitness sexy. And what we're seeing is a lot of people that, you know, jumped on this fitness bandwagon have kind of maybe ridden it to a different point in the bus where now all of a sudden now they're looking at like, how do I ramp up performance? And uh, the problem is, is that fitness and uh, performance aren't, you know, mutually exclusive. Do you think well, it also uh, popularized the idea of or are like mutually adult, exclusive. adult fitness uh, being best applied by a subject like a coach? I don't, I don't, I know like fitness coach isn't the same as sport coach or strength coach, stuff like that. But like, even with the general population, they're getting coaching and it takes the guesswork out of it. You don't have to think about it. Like, um, and you get expert guidance and then you walk away and you don't have to think about it. And I mean, if you look at, I would look at what we're doing. One, as I said, I think CrossFit really did do a good job. You know, when you talk about changing the way we do fitness, it did. I think it made adults look at fitness and realize fitness doesn't have to be sort of, you know, machines and hamster wheels, you know, me walking on the treadmill and doing the machines at the gym. Suddenly it's, I can do some things that maybe look fun Mm -hmm. in terms of jumping and running and, throwing stuff around and high, that, that's uh, cool. high rep cleaning jerks you yeah know, like cleaning you, you know sets of 50 and 100 cleaning jerks exactly one of my for personal favorites <laughs> thrusters as i like to call but um uh, no but it really did like that i think that to me is the most positive thing that came out of that decade and it's been tremendous for us because now you have a a demographic that is looking for an alternative and you see it now like i can't even know the names of these there's like a you know you look at orange theory and there's a one that's something 30 and one that's something 45 and yeah f45 is the the new one from australia yes exactly that's i couldn't think of the name and so those are all of these things are evolving to meet that same need and i always look and think all that stuff is good for us who i think there's some of us who sort of uh not to be cocky, but I think we occupy the intellectual high ground in terms of it's like, okay, we've looked at this and said, okay, we're going to take all the bad unsafe shit out and we're going to keep all the good stuff in. So you won't come in and see, you know, burpees and, you know, just, you know, just don't see dumb stuff. And, it, and it, yet you will see, as you said, more of a performance model, more of looking at this adult as more of an athletic being, maybe not as an athlete. Someone asked me, how do you define, you know, who's your adult client? I said, anybody who's not getting paid anymore to play a sport is an adult client. I said, that might happen when you're, you know, you get out of college and you're 22. Fine. You're an adult now. Like you don't, you know, I always think if you get hurt, it matters because you can't go to work. That makes you an adult. If, if you're an athlete, you're just, you know, you're a different animal and you fall into a different category, but we've gotten really good at programming for that demographic which is a really difficult when you have a client who you're going to see 50 weeks a year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's yeah. very very difficult the biggest thing we run into with people is that argument of oh my god you know people are getting bored 100 percent. and that so i did want to pick your brain on this because this is a i'd say a relatively hot topic in our coaches network is you know the bit they're I'm going to, this is my terminology. So if any of those guys are listening, uh, apologies, but I think there's a, a level they're feeling threatened by the things on social media that seem sexy and fun that are posted by the influencers. And then as clients come in and say, Hey, well, I saw my fan, I'm a big fan boy of, you know, douchebag a, um, let's do this. 
they feel threatened and offended by those clients wanting to freshen, like get a fresh perspective on training. Right. So yeah. how, how do you combat that? Or how do you, how do you, what, how do you perceive that type of stuff? Do you get that type of chatter from your clients? I think we get a little bit of that. Yeah. And, but I, I do think that that's constant and it was happening before they were Instagram influencers and it's always going to happen. It's going to happen again. I think you, I always say to everybody, you have to have your series of elevator speeches prepared <laughs> that are responses for, you know, why don't we do burpees or do you know what I mean? Or, you know, you know, why can't we have a bar class here or why don't we do yoga or, you know, you have to, if you don't have a canned response for that, that's generally mm-hmm. pretty witty, then you're going to be in trouble. And, and I'll get myself in trouble again with the C word, but people, you know, we, for a long time, people would come in and look around and be like, oh, you guys are just like CrossFit. And I would look and I'd say, yeah, we're exactly like CrossFit, just not so stupid. And, <laughs> and they'd giggle and, you know, say, okay. Because in a lot of ways, I always say to people, if you, if you look at the tenants of CrossFit as they were written, and we probably said this in 2016, we would agree on way more than we would disagree with. Right. In True. terms of interval training and multi-joint lifting and all that stuff. I said, sometimes the, the problem came when you, you know, you saw the video and you were like, Oh, go God, not that, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Well, when you, know, you say high intensity interval training and also, you know, uh, increased work capacity, broad time, more domains. I mean, it, it, and you leave it up to people's interpretation. I think sometimes you get some really interesting interpretations, oh, but, yeah. I, and but about uh, it, it got to the point where even some people who were initially, you know, would have called themselves CrossFitters. Eventually they were like, Oh, that's, that's not what, you know, you got into that. Well, that's not my CrossFit. You know, that's not my definition of, and I think that's where the, you know, again, where the fracturing started to happen because suddenly it was sort of anything, anything that was hard and could be done for a lot of reps suddenly was like, Oh, well, you know, that we can CrossFit that, you know, we'll figure out a way to, you know, to, to make that into what we're doing. And I think it's that ability to, to talk to an intelligent client who's bored and say, Hey, here's why we don't do that. Here's why I don't think that's going to be a good idea for you. And you need to almost to the point where I've written down, like a lot of these have become articles for me and things where I've written the responses down so I can share the responses with staff. So when people say, well, what do you say to somebody who says X, you know, why don't we, like I wrote an article the other day called the, um, airport screening test, you know, when people say, well, why don't we do things overhead with our adult clients? And I use the airport screening test. I said, just go stand at the airport for an hour, watch people stand in the machine with their arms up over their head and tell me how many people do you see in an hour who effectively get their arms over their head and look good doing it. And everybody kind of laughs like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm like, I know I'm right. Cause I watch everybody when we go through the airport mm-hmm. and no one, I, I can remember being at I was at the NSCA tactical in San Diego and I was watching somebody else's presentation and they had everybody, all the coaches, you know, that are there. So it's all coaches, trainers. Okay. Everybody stand up, put their arms up over their head. And I remember looking going, this is a freaking disaster. 90% of the people in this room cannot properly get their arms over their head, which means there's a lot of things that are probably not a great idea for them. <laughs> and, and then people kind of look and go, Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I really, you know, it is a little bit hard for me to, to whatever, overhead press a bar. I'm like, yeah, so now imagine doing that 30 or 40 times, you know, and using your legs to help and think that that might not be mm-hmm. the best idea. And generally, the intelligent person will look at you and go, yeah, I get that. 
But if you sort of, duh, or, you know, we just, you know, if you argue or that's not the way we do it, you have to, because you have to be an influencer too. And you have to look at that and think, you know, my job is to influence, you know, I influence from my car on Instagram. You know, I'm an Instagram influencer sitting there like yapping at my, holding my camera in my hand as I talk to whoever's stupid enough to listen. Well, I was going to give you a little uh, advice on that. Are you, you willing for some, you ready for Absolutely. some feedback? You got to do that with your shirt off, man. Oh yeah, I know. I, I thought about that. <laughs> well, and then, that. and then you got to break into some karaoke. Like, uh-huh. uh, yeah. what is it? Like James Cordain. Uh, and his, uh, Car- Car- yeah. I thought about that. I thought about that one too, or maybe having someone in the back seat that I could talk to like the, uh, the, the cab driver once <laughs> I'll, I'll drive around and film somebody in the back seat. And I always thought it would have been funny if, uh, if you were an Uber driver and you were driving around talking about strength conditioning, just randomly picking people up and there was people in the back, like confused or as that you were driving, so, somebody had like a mask on and they like came up and they're like, Oh, I gotta go. That oh. happens to me all the time with the Uber. I had a guy the other day, you know, talking to me about his plantar fasciitis. I will probably invariably get into a conversation with, one out of every three Uber drivers about some ailment that they have as we start driving. It's like cash cab, but strength and conditioning. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, I got this weird rash. What, what does this look like? You're like, <laughs> uh, squat more. I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. But sorry to cut you, sorry to cut you off, Mike. You were, you were approaching, I think, a, an important point in terms of your responsibility to your audience and your, your athletes as a, the proverbial influencer, right? Right. And that's, and I think we have to realize that we're all, if we're out there coaching, if we're, you know, whether we're doing a podcast or running a business in terms of a fitness facility, you have to view yourself as an influencer and realize that I need to be in the game. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. I think what happens with a lot of people is they love to complain about shit, but it's a get in the game then, you know, if if you're going to complain about influences on Instagram, the best way to probably do that is to start to build your audience on Instagram with mm-hmm. better influence and with better progressions and with better exercises and with more intelligent dialogue as opposed to, like, I just hate the people that are pissed off. Like, oh, so-and-so, you know, he's got all these people. He's got 80,000 followers and he, you know, mm-hmm. does the stuff with his shirt off. And I'm like, hey, whatever. Like, you know, I got 80,000 followers too and I'm 60 years old and I'm bald and I have clothes on all the time. I was like, <laughs> my, my audience would be decreasing rapidly. People, I always say, like, if anybody went to the beach with me, I, I mean, I'm not the guy. Like, you'd never walk up to me on the beach and start asking me about training. It, it wouldn't, that wouldn't be what crossed your mind. You wouldn't be like, oh, that guy over there, fitness well, expert. I it's uh, pretty interesting. It's yeah. consistent, uh, consistent content seems to be like the the biggest thing that I've kind of noticed uh you know like it's um as long as you're consistent in what you're putting out in terms of your message and not only like the the rate at which you post and how you're putting it out and everything kind of looks I think people feel comfortable to follow you I think when you're sporadic or the information is like oh here's one day I'm talking about plantar fasciitis and the next day here's here's me on my boat talking about how to fucking scratch an anchor I think sometimes people like look for hey i'm gonna go to mike boyle he's got his you know head on straight and you know for the strength conditioning information and uh you know the information is is what they're searching for yeah no i I think you're 100 percent right i mean i think that's um i think you need to be consistent and i think sometimes it's okay to you know you whatever scratching the anchor you know at your boat you know for people to see a little bit of you in real life from time to time is probably a pretty good thing when you kind of look at how instagram has evolved like I like posting the odd picture of myself, you know, at the beach with a beer, 
like, look, hey, you know, here I am. I'm sitting, you know, I got a beer sitting on my gut and I'm like a regular old person drinking Bud Lights and catching, catching a few rays. But at the same time, trying to be consistent with information that is good and trying to be consistent with, it gets funny. I got into a little Twitter thing, which I occasionally do with people when they post stupid things. I, I can't stop myself. But the one thing that I'm fascinated about is people who post stuff as if it's theirs when it's not. Hmm. And I think that's, I get, sometimes I'm like, yeah, that was, and sometimes I'll just go do it. I'll be like, that was so-and-so. Or that was, you know, sometimes people do that with me, like they post a quote, oh, Mike Boyle quote, and I'm like, that was not Mike Boyle. That was Jeff Olson in Slight Edge. Like, that was Mike Boyle quoting Jeff Olson from the Slight Edge. That was not Mike Boyle. But I see people doing that from a training standpoint. It's kind of like, seeing your shit like you're just like posting somebody else's stuff on twitter and trying to develop your following because the other thing i think we need to do i think this is what gets me in trouble i think we have a responsibility on social media to kind of uh you know call bullshit when we see it a little bit and sometimes you know people think like oh that's bad form you know you shouldn't you know you shouldn't call out other coaches you shouldn't say negative things and i'm like yeah you should actually because if not, then we give unfettered access to this thing we call the internet to all these dimwits and nobody says anything back to them. And that's not good. Like somebody should be like, I look at people and think, wait a second, you know, I've been doing this my whole life and I don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. We, you know, and this is the one, the kid who got angry was like, well, you know, age shouldn't be a part of this discussion. And I'm like, yeah, it should be a part of this discussion actually, because I've been doing this clearly like you know i didn't say it but i'm like way longer than you've been alive not even close like you know you're probably 25 and i've been coaching for almost 40 years and you're posting somebody else's information to begin with that you haven't really thought through all that well and i think we i think there needs to be that discourse on social media whether it's instagram or whether it's twitter or wherever or maybe and i think the other thing is i think people need to keep working across multiple platforms because if you look at facebook now is my demographic Mm -hmm. yeah facebook is sort of you know mom and dad 50 to 60 years old that's who's on facebook there aren't a lot of kids on facebook and twitter is its own weird little world in terms of it's almost like you've got these little twitter subcultures that you can sort of follow along with and it's actually got a pretty cool strength and conditioning thing but i watch some people and think they're trying to become an influencer by you know based on volume of posts of not very interesting stuff and then you have Instagram, which I think is, Instagram is the kids. Instagram is that sort of 20 to, to 30, 20 to 35 kind of demographic. So you've, you've got to be able to play in all of those fields to be effective. As, as well as in person. So you talked about the importance of having your quirks or your one-liners to deliver in person to your clients that come into it. So it's not only the ability to create content and display your value as a coach, it's to remember to communicate in person and the importance of that, because I mean, that's a lot of where your checks are coming in. Well, also your, I mean, that that's a really, really good point because I think sometimes, and this again is my other issue with people is it's, there are lots of people attempting. I mean, almost thought everybody that's attempting to be an influencer probably is by themselves while they're doing it. <laughs> and 
And I think that's a that's another interesting component what, of this. Influencers in a while. Well, who's, who's taking the video or taking the picture of them on their other phone? You Nobody know. knows. So they have three phones, Tex. It's not that complicated. Let me explain. So you have a tripod or a magnet stand for your third phone that's taking a video or picture. It's actually a video of you looking at your second phone while talking on your first phone. And then you go through the video and you pick the frame that looks the most like hustle. Like the, oh. there's the most hustle in it. Yeah, yeah. And then hashtag hustle. No, it's side hustle, right? God forbid there's a fourth phone witnessing you like that. The, the yeah. influencers <laughs> in the wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is this? Account? You've never seen it? Yeah, it's stuff? fucking great. It's uh, uh, like um, the other day when I was at a, a, a coffee shop and I went to meet Lori. Uh, we were sitting out there and these I watched these girls for a legit 30 minutes um, taking pictures of themselves in front of like this big concrete wall. And they would like take it, then they'd all huddle together, and then they would go back. They must have taken like three hundred pictures. Influencers in the wild, influencer boyfriends, or something like that, right? Like, and it has like third-party accounts of <laughs> what I would perceive, and I know they're probably just doing what they think is right and not in a malicious intent. But I just think it's silly to be like doing jumps in front of a fountain, in front of a camera on a tripod by yourself, and you do it thirty times to get the perfect shot. But that's the hustle. That's the well, then the other thing, though, is I always said, like, beware of influences who aren't influencing anybody. So if they're <laughs> constantly by themselves and there's never anybody in the videos with them, like one of the things I do is I post lots of videos of our athletes. Like these are the real people that we train who play real sports and do real stuff. And people don't get that. That's the bad part. And I've talked about this a lot in my talks is we're really crappy filters in general, in terms of we're not great at seeing through people. And I realized I wasn't great at seeing through people either. When I was a kid, I used to read muscle magazines and believe they were true. And so in my twenties, I really like, I thought Arnold wrote that article. I really did believe that. And then I met a guy who wrote at that time for one of the big muscle magazines. And he used to show me his articles and he'd be like, all right, this one's going to go up as blank. And I was kind of like, so you write the articles and then they publish them under somebody else's name. He's like, yeah, I make a lot of money doing that. It's like, it's great. And I remember this was 1980s. And I just remember being shocked because I really thought that kind of everybody wrote their own material. And, and that's still kind of the case right now in terms of, you know, it's just, there's just a lot of bullshitters out there. There's a lot of people who don't really have, I mean, no one, checks the credibility nobody shakes the tree and says wait a second who is this guy who says that he's trained all these olympians or that he's done this or he's done that like like could i get an olympian name could you just toss me one and then i always tell people the big key point is whenever anyone says to you well i can't name names that like my bullshit media goes like because <laughs> i'm like i've never had an athlete and i've had a lot of olympians and a lot of pros and a lot of I've never had an athlete say, don't mention me ever. Like, don't use my name. Mm -hmm. Can't be spoken because I don't want anybody to know that I train with you. Never. Not yeah. one person. That's like us in the military space. I mean, we do, we do some stuff with, uh, with SOCOM and like, you know, uh, some clandestine people. And it's always interesting when people are like, oh, yeah, no, I work with those guys. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I can't tell you. I'm, uh, you know, there's some form of secrecy associated with it. I'm like, we work with those guys and there's some real ways to implement it and talk about it. But yeah, it's yeah, uh, very, very clear boundaries <laughs> yeah. and they tell you specifically how to say it. Yeah. So, Hey, if you're going to mention that you're here, this is how we do it. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, but yeah, it's, um, 
I think that, that people try to create some like mystique or allure, and I think like that's something that's pretty interesting. Uh, like I'll hear, and I, and I'm sure you do the same thing where you know you're reading something and you'll like click on it, you're like, how old is this dude? There's no way, you know that um, you know. But but it's so easy to kind of pilfer information. Like I saw it the other day, somebody uh, quoted me, and it was uh, a real. <laughs> I can't remember what the quote, but it was like, you know, something from literature that I put out on the podcast and they put my name next to it. And I was like, Ooh, like, I think that was Les Miserables. Like, I can't really, you know, go back on that one. Like, <laughs> but might as well. Uh, it's my yeah. Mouth. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure that's Victor Hugo. Uh, like, you know, but like, you know, and I hit the dude up, I'm like, Hey man, that's not my quote. And like, they never responded and take it down either. Right. So, and, and that's again, and I think that's a huge part of the problem and i think it's why again you need to be when you talk about being active on social media i don't believe it is always productive to just be positively active i think you need to be as polite and respectful as you can be but i also think you need to say hey i, I don't necessarily think that's true mm-hmm. or what do you base that thought on particularly when you see that it's somebody who as you said would be relatively youthful and i sometimes i look at these people and think you know their resume says once met a professional athlete in an elevator, you know, on the way to <laughs> Starbucks. And, uh, you know, I, I look at some of these people and think, I don't know where this, where did all these people come from that everybody's training? Because everybody's training. There's not that many. So, Mike, and- well, the, uh, the, the other one I saw today was, um, uh, I think it was uh, Robert Garza, uh, who's uh, played, you know, 14 years, played for the Chicago Bears. He posted this kind of, um, this schedule of like what a college kid, it was like, Hey, you know, 5am workout, like 6am, you know, for breakfast. And he kind of went through like, if you're not ready to do this schedule. And I was like, mean to quote it being like, I would gladly go back to that schedule. Mm-hmm. If all I had to do was go to class and uh, lift weights and then go to film study and practice and go to bed at nine o'clock. I'm like, I would gladly trade that for that life again. Well, and it was funny. funny. He's, he's like making it like this insurmountable thing. I'm like, no, no, no. Those were the good days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I laughed because somebody the other day was complaining about, said something about how difficult professional sports has become like a 10-month-a-year job. (laughs) You're like, ah, God, it's like the person who's like, man, I can't carry my gold brick. It's so heavy. Right. You know, complaining about how heavy your gold brick is. I was like, when you talk about first world problems and someone, you know, and some other kid professional athletes that, you know, people don't realize how hard it is to be an athlete, kind of like, um that would only be athletes who don't realize how hard it is to be an athlete. Once they have to go to get a real job and work 40 hours a week, they're going to realize this was the greatest oh. thing that ever happened to them. It's like, you know, wine, women and song for the rest of your life, but you got to work out two hours a day to have it. It's like, Hey, you know, sign me up. Get, you know, I'll, I'll get me to the front of the line as quickly as possible. And, but I, I just, and I it did, I said, well, I just, sorry, I really, I have trouble. I don't have a tremendous amount of sympathy for the plight of the professional athlete these days. Like that's not something that, that makes me feel really good. Like, Oh, I feel bad for these guys. Like the no. season is six months long and then they have to work out for three months when the season is over. And, and they get to meet amazingly hot girls and you have available cash and a cool car yeah. and you get to go out and fucking be a rock star. And yeah. like, it's, it, it's an awful life. I, uh, I saw another statistic that like somebody was going through and they're like, you know, it's a point, zero zero one point four percent of kids that play high school football get a chance to go play in the nfl and then, i mean that was just for three years so uh then it like you know orders of magnitude i think it was like twenty five thousand people have played in the nfl and like just over a thousand it might be about 1200 people have played longer than three years 
So it's like a super number, and they were trying to like, you know, make sure you get your education in this whole thing. And I, I typed in it. I'm like, first of all, why would you even put this information out? Because uh, if I had seen that information when I was 14 years old, I probably would have never ever thought about playing in the NFL. And like the fact that you're, you know, seeding this, like give everybody every opportunity, like don't put, you know, intentionally put limitations on people. Now everybody doesn't get it and everybody kind of knows that in the back of your head. But like, for me, I, like if I had seen that statistic, I don't know where, what would have happened. I just kind of assumed that, Hey, this is how it all works. And the next thing you know, you play 10 years. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but, um, I'm never a fan of these limitations where people are constantly trying to qualify things as being impossible. I'm like, dude, anything is possible. If I could fucking do it, most people could do it. I don't see it as a a limitation to me. It's the data. Like I know it's maybe not the message. The message isn't delivered effectively in that tone to a 14 year old, but that's the real world, man. Like, um, understand the odds and be prepared to fight against them, you know, present the opportunity. But, um, yeah, I don't, because it's not it's not false. Well, it's not false, but when I look at like, you know, and and we I'm sure Mike you see it too, you know, especially kids come in and uh they're almost succeeding in spite of the training and what they've provided. Like I had a guy ask me the other day they're like uh did you do uh off-season training in high school uh with your football team and I was like no, I joined the track team. Uh their idea of conditioning was every Wednesday we ran 16 220s. So we did that every week in the off season when I was in high school football. I'm like, I went and joined the track team because they let me run the, uh, the 110 hurdles. And I had dreams of being a hurdler. And then when I got to 215, 220 pounds, it didn't work the same way. And they made me throw the shot, but I still got to run with the, uh, with the track team. And I was like, you know what? Like, I think uh, people are too willing to do stupid stuff. I mean, I guess you have to do it as part of the team. But, you know, like to be able to succeed in spite of bad training is kind of what we're seeing these days. But I also think it's... That's, I think, in general, the trend is to be able to succeed in spite of <clears throat> because there's always, like you said, everybody's going to come up against an obstacle. But when you look at, I always tell everybody, like, the, the world is a bell curve. That's just the way that it works. You know, our job is to try to shift people on the curve. And, you know, where do we shift you to? I don't know. And sort of, you know, what is your genetic possibility? I don't know. You know, in terms of, but I still want to shift you on the curve. Like I want to push you mm-hmm. to the to the right into that top ten percent or twenty percent or whatever it is. And I always feel like, like like you said, don't set limitations. Whatever happens, happens. If we look at this and think, I mean, shit. You know, you, you might not make it to the NFL. All you might get is free college education. Which now, is a if home you're, run. If you're thinking about, you know, the the new democracy, you're gonna everyone's gonna get it anyway. So there's another thing that's gonna come down the drain. <laughs> oh God! But even in so even with that though, I'm I am swinging back a bit. If you get into a college sport, you're in kind of this fraternal order. You know, as as employers, people are gonna look at that and be like, oh, you play college football. And if you're applying to work for a college football player, they're gonna recognize the body of work that went into that. So like. There are still opportunities within oh, yeah, all of that, right? Like, they were, like I, we always joke about sort of it's like with hockey. There, there's a certain number of Division One schools. Maybe you get a scholarship, and maybe, and then, gee, you know, the worst case is you're not good enough, and you have to go to Williams or Amherst or Middlebury, you know, and you're like, yeah, gee, that, you know, thank God it didn't work out for you, and you know, you were just good enough at hockey to get admitted to this school that you were never getting admitted to under any circumstances. Yeah. Uh, dude, I, I, I've told this story a million times that, you know, I had a chance to go to Berkeley and I went there because... You went to Cal, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I, I had well, good grades. You were going to go to Cal. 
without uh, football? Uh, slim to none. I had good grades. I got like a 1200 SAT and I had a, a three, four, whatever it was. But I just know the valedictorian at my high school, there was like 10 of them. She sat next to me and she didn't get into Berkeley. And she was like so fucking pissed. And I was like, well, you should have fucking learned how to, you know, lift weights and fucking yeah, block hit better. people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she didn't get in. And like at the end of the day, I'm like, well, you know what? Like, hey, not everybody's talented in the same way. And if, you know, I always want the Einstein that if you judged a fish's ability to climb a ladder, they'd, you know, uh, everybody be stupid kind of a deal. And I was like, you know, maybe my talent, maybe I have aptitude somewhere else that they're, you know, trying to bring into the, uh, you know. The college setting so and they are i mean they are actively you know cal's trying to do it and stanford's trying to do it and vanderbilt's trying to do it and the whole ivy league's trying to do it like everybody's trying to do it and they're all looking and the crazy part is from an athletic standpoint they're all competing for the same people yeah yeah because they all need you know whether you're notre dame or vanderbilt or cal or stanford or you know whatever you're competing for the same really small pool of people because you've like i gotta find some kid who's at least smart enough to bring to the admissions committee where I'm not embarrassing myself. Sure. <laughs> and then you think then that trickles down into the division three level. And that's what I mean. Like there's just so much opportunity that's created by this, as opposed to looking and thinking like, Oh, don't even bother. Cause you're not going to play in the NFL. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, but you know, you- let, let's be realistic here. One, you know, who is like you said, who is, and then if they do, mm-hmm. you know, how, how long is it going to be and how much money they're going to make. And in some ways, that three-year NFL career is a kiss of death because you. I, the one thing I think you know that I see with the professional athlete is that you learn you don't want your peak earning years to be twenty-three to thirty because that's going to be really problematic when you have to go from thirty to eighty mm-hmm. and realize that suddenly, wow, you know I can't really afford that really nice car and the beautiful girl that loved me because I was playing in the NFL suddenly doesn't think I'm quite so cool when I don't have quite as much money as I had. Like it, that, that's the more difficult life. I think the difficulty in professional athletes comes when you're done, not, not when it's going on. Like the fact that you have to work out two or three or four hours a day to keep your job to me, I, you know, again, I'm, Dude. I'm not at all. It doesn't break my heart. I don't feel bad. Like, I no, love let me find that job again. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's a great job. We, we that's do. the hardest point. The hardest thing for that guy is to think, okay, what am I going to do now? to make a million dollars a year for the next however many years to maintain the lifestyle that I've developed. Like that's the more, I think that's the missing piece of the professional sports part that people don't shine enough light on and say, Hey, here's the negative to this. And the negative to this is that, you know, you, you peak in the middle, you, I'm not even in the middle, you peak at the beginning, like really there's this really early peak financially. Whereas most of us, if you look at, the average American is probably going to hit their financial peak somewhere between 55 and 65 in terms of now their investments really take off and their income really takes off. And that's kind of the normal curve. And then you think, okay, I can retire now because I've got enough money and I'm adapted to my lifestyle and everything's going to be okay. And then you die. Uh, hopefully not. No, no, no. You guys hopefully not. To, I'm 60. Don't, we don't want to, we don't want to die. We want to live. I, I'll comfortably go like, I think I'd like to go into my 80s at least. So, so let's. Uh, mm-hmm. Ash, Ash just had a wedding. My my wife's a wedding coordinator, and the flower girl was the great grandmother, and she was like 102 and just <laughs> like a fireball. Like, didn't move the best. Needed a few naps before the wedding, but as soon as she was done, well, that's different than you. You're, yeah, you're kind of a wedding napper. Oh yeah, big time. You need to like sleep off the first round of Coors Lights, <laughs> then the White Claws, and then shots of Jama. 
then get married. <laughs> so they rolled grandma to 102 in. Huh? Yeah. And she was pitching flowers and having a great time. And I'm like, oh, so they're in, like, they're out there. They're yeah. out there. And it's interesting. Guys, even in the adult market, I mean, people, if you take care of yourself, I mean, there's a longevity benefit to that. Mm-hmm. There clearly is. Obviously, I think people, you know, there people are going to get sick. Things are going to happen. But as a general, you know, that's what I mean in terms of if we just look at sort of law of averages, all of these smart things that we do help us in the law of average battle. They don't necessarily help us. I mean, you know, shit happens battle. Like, you know, sometimes <laughs> stuff happens and that's just the way that it is. But in a general sense, I mean, I look at it and think the fact that I've been on my feet working, jumping around, running, showing people how to do stuff, it makes me, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in really, really good shape for 60. I always tell people I'm in amazing shape for 60. The difference is I'm in the same shape I was when I was 30, but every decade that's gotten to be better and better. Like at 30, I was like, I kind of yeah, I'm going to be a rock star in uh, my 70s. Right? In my 70s, I might start competing in stuff. I'll be like, I can <laughs> yeah. like, Masters track, before. Masters Olympic yeah, lifting, like, I'm like, in. Like, like you know, if I can make it to 80, I'm going to be world champion at something. Oh, I like it. No, that's good. You're like, I'm, I'm peaking right at the right time. Right. Yeah, or, or I just have a really good maintenance program. Well, the secret is you CrossFit three days a week, so I'm not going to tell anybody. One of the appeals we aim to teach our coaches, because we we teach athleticism development model, but 80% of them are primarily working with general population, but we bring it back to movement. So even though we're teaching an athletic-based model of training and, and strength and conditioning, all of the goals as we get older are associated with movement, playing with your grandkids, being able to maintain golf. So we find these goals and connect it back to movement. So we can still apply athleticism training to the general population as they age, but it's a matter of connecting to and teaching our coaches to connect to their audience and their goals. But uh, you can also take it a step further. And you guys have heard me talk about the idea that um, strength is the greatest determining factor for survival. And the per, you know, they have actuary charts that actually shows like over time as muscle mass decreases, they know at which point like you've lost X amount or this percentage of muscle mass, they know like here's the end of your life. So, I mean, there's actuary charts for this stuff that, you know, and, and the people that can maintain muscle mass and strength longest are the ones that live the longest because when they looked at like, you know, I mean, when you pull out like sickness and cancer and some of the other things, the reason that a lot of people over the age of 80 and even in their seventies pass away is they usually fall, break a hip or something happens where they become incapacitated, they become bedridden. And then at that point, you know, the fucking wheels fall off and then that's the end of it. And so the ability to not only maintain balance and enough muscle mass that if you do fall, you know, or proprioception or what it is. So when they looked at like the determining factor for survival, it always comes down to muscle and strength. So, I mean, that kind of became our kind of big push. I agree. The difference with that, I agree hundred percent. The problem with that is that fuels the meathead community, you know, in terms of it's like, okay, the more you can bench, the older you are, the longer you're going to live. And it's like, Ah. really what they said no (laughs) no i like i mean that's like the uh you know luke's great idea to have a jump to conclusions matt it's a jump (laughs) to conclusions matt you think the pet rock was a good idea (laughs) (laughs) so that but like uh you know they don't they don't eat much right exactly expensive Mm -hmm. to maintain you don't have to take them out you can leave them when you go on vacation and you Mm -hmm. come back it's still there it's not hungry like there's a lot of really good stuff to that yeah you you, know my point is just that in in fitness, like we have these these people who are sort of um, they think that they're logical, and so they're the ones showing you like grandma powerlifting, and they're saying like 
she's going to live to be like a thousand, you know, because I still have her deadlifting. And I'm like, um, that is really not what that actuarial chart. It's like the thing, there was one that said, the greatest indicator of speed is number of chin-ups, which is true. Like if you look, if you just take a bunch of people off the street and test them in chin-ups and running, the guy who can do the most chin-ups will generally run the fastest. But then people go out and say, I need to get on a chin-up program to get faster. And it's like, that's not what that data meant. Mm-hmm. That well, data meant well, the same thing with body fat. I mean, more. they did body fat on like the, uh, you know, I think it was like the 100 and the 200 meter runners and found that the leanest guy usually always wins the gold medal. So then you could be like, oh, the leanest guy, you know, the guy with the lowest body fat's a gold medalist. And you're like, ah, uh, like it it's doesn't data, always. It's data, it's important, it's related, but not. Yeah, yeah but causal, not the way you're causation. doing it. And there's a good chance that the, the, uh, the more muscle you carry and the least amount of fat, there's probably a good chance of more pull-ups you can do. Right. And, you know, you get into sort of the whole correlation to causation argument, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's where, again, I think people like we have, our problem with our field is we have way too many dumb people who are dying for confirmation bias. It's like, <laughs> can you just get some more confirmation bias? Like, so, you, say, you know, is there any, you know, with, with the jump to conclusions, Matt, should come a double helping of confirmation bias where, <laughs> you know, because you know, I had a, I got into another, you know, argument slash disagreement with somebody, you know, about, because he was like squatting, you know, improves everything. He said, and we have all these studies, all this data. And I was like, I said, squatting is the test. I said, I would accept the idea that lower body strength correlates really, really strongly with lots of things. And that generally speaking, in studies, we measured lower body strength by squatting, but it is not the squatting that caused the result. It is the increase in lower body strength. You could choose another vehicle to do that and you know, your data would be the same probably if you used hex bar deadlift as opposed to squatting and it might be the same you know in my world i said it might be the same in split squatting it might be better but it's not you know we, we just get a lot of people like this guy was you know like really vehemently arguing you know that like that squatting was the answer and i'm like lower body strength is the answer but how we're going to choose to measure said quantity should not be what gets credited for the the end result. Well, it's like people constantly talking about, you know, oh, I'm squatting for my posterior chain. And I'm like, well, there's better ways to develop posterior chain. When you look at all of the, uh, like the muscle activation stuff, it's usually rectus femoris, hip flexor, and glute are, are activated, the hamstring, very little in the, in the squat. So you're developing posterior chain, and yet all you do is barbell back squat. And like I remember when I came to the, uh, when I went to the CrossFit deal, they were like, oh, this is a posterior chain style or style of training, but yet everything looked like a squat. Right. And then they were like, well, no, the squat's posterior chain. And I'm like, um, then why do all you guys have massive fucking quads and no hamstrings? And I'm like, you know, there's a one thing you notice about all sprinters, always overdevelop hamstrings because the hamstring has to be able to control eccentric load and all this other stuff. And I'm like, if you, if you just got big quads, it's not posterior chain. And that's just observationally. Right. I mean, and observationally, it's like, it appears that your anterior chain is getting bigger. So uh, yeah, I would have to say that more than likely that's going to be more of an anterior chain exercise, but it is, it's, and it, like I said, it just, I think, <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that enough people, not enough people think. <laughs> so there's a redundance there, but I do really believe that in our field, there are not enough people who really want to think. There are just a lot of people who want to believe. And I think there's a really big difference between 
believing and thinking. Well, don't don't you think in today's world it's almost easier to kind of uh, follow and associate and kind of stand behind and prop up people that you already know to kind of be an expert and be like, oh, I tend to agree with this person. So instead of really going in and doing my own research and reading it and you know getting out and training people and seeing what works and developing a system that I understand, it's just easier for me just to parrot somebody else's information because we've already agreed that that person's intelligent. Right. Uh, think about it. I mean, I would say like in Mike Boyle University, class, first class will be cheating, right? It's much easier to sit next to a smart person and look at their paper than it is to, to read books and spend time at night studying. If someone said, you know, I'll give you two options. One, sit next to a smart person and just copy everything off their paper or go home, spend hours reading through the material, studying it, trying to learn it yourself, and then go in and take the test. Again, a large percentage of the world probably would opt to just sit next to the smart guy. That that's and But that's back to the same bell curve thing. I always thought about Everything comes back to the bell curve in my mind in terms of, I always said there's 10% of the people on the left side that you're never going to help no matter what you want, no matter what you do. And there's 10% of the people on the right side who probably never need you. And then the difference is you've got 80% in the middle and, and there's your market. There's your real market because that's the person that can be influenced. You know, if you've got someone who, you know, I mean, I always say to people, how many people do you know really are good at training themselves? Very few, right? You know, less than 10%. I'd probably go to 1%. Even with my professional athlete clients, I probably had 1% of my guys who I thought, you know something? If I just send this guy the booklet, he's going to come back and kick ass. And, but I had other guys who got really, really good results by being there and being in the group and being having guys to train with. And, and then I got other people who were there and were in the group and, didn't get a lot of benefit out of it because they just didn't give a shit and didn't put in the effort. And um, sadly, like I said, those curves look uh, same but different in terms of usually the ability curve is the opposite of the work ethic curve. So uh, that can be frustrating. Well, I mean, that's kind of where um, I've always said that the most successful athletes are usually uh, – late bloomers and like the guys that, you know, like learn how to work. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was short or I wasn't talented. And then all of a sudden grow six inches. And next thing you know, that all of a sudden everything's all wired up. And I found that a lot of guys who were just kind of late bloomers. I mean, I know when I went to college, I didn't even own a razor. I didn't even start shaving until I was 21 years old. And they, you know, and I, I looked at these guys that I was playing with. Uh, my roommate had a full beard walking in at 18 and, uh, you know, came in and started and they were like, oh, you know, this guy's, you know, slow to develop. And then all of a sudden, by the time I'm 23 years old, it's night and day difference. And I always think like sometimes the worst thing you can do is is uh, peak too early and just have too much success that it doesn't ever force you to have to learn and put the, you know, put the ability of work together to be successful. There's a whole body of research on that, you know, on early succeeders, even in youth sports. You see that even at the like, you know, eight, nine, ten level in terms of the early succeeders tend to drop out at a really high rate because of exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. They tend to, they're genetically so far ahead that they, again, and we see it all the time. You see it in, at the college level with kids. A lot of these kids have had no failure experience and you're much better off. Mm -hmm. It's funny when you look, cause I've done a lot of uh, reading in this particular area. A lot of your greatest athletes are in the last quarter of their year. So you're gonna see somebody like October, November, December birthdays because they were always struggling in the birth year thing, like school, you know, like youth sports is very organized based on birth year. Mm -hmm. If you can compete 
as an October, November, December birthday for a long enough period of time. Like you become that late bloomer. You become that guy who all of a sudden there's a, you know, that difference starts to get smaller and smaller as you get into, you know, think about that 10. So I, I know because my son is December 23rd and he's 15 and he's just beginning to catch up. Like he's just at that point, you know, when we looked at him, when he was, you know, when he was nine and the other kids were 10, it was a really big difference between the kid that was born in January and the kid that was born in December. I mean, like earth shattering difference. And that difference is still visible at 20 because that person is still, when we start thinking, you know, at 10, they're 10% older, big difference. You start thinking about years of sport experience at 10. If you started at six, you know, that kid could have 25% more sport experience and be 10% older at that age and appear to be infinitely better. And so there is, there's, you see these kids that, that tend to have success early will struggle and that, and you'll see that. Like I always think you look at, you know, like a Tom Brady or a Jerry Rice or some of these guys, you know, and you think some of the greatest people that have been in football were exactly what you said, were late bloomers, were people that, you know, they weren't at, you know, Brady was at a big school, but you know, he wasn't like he was a four-year starter. He wasn't a star. He wasn't a high draft pick. He was, you know, extremely average athletically when you look at like combine performance and things like that. When you look at Rice was, I think, a division three guy, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of- Yeah, uh, wasn't it Saginaw State? Uh, Mississippi, I know this. Uh, Mississippi, God, uh, Mississippi, Mississippi Valley State. Yeah, Mississippi yeah, Valley State. Was, it was him and Willie Totten was the quarterback. I might have to find uh, approach. I believe they were both Mississippi Valley State. But like, yeah, there's two, I mean, uh, two uh, NFL uh, players from there. Well, uh, Scott Fajita, who I played with, was one of our walk-ons at Cal and going on and winning the Super Bowl with the New England, or sorry, um, New Orleans Saints, and had like a nine or ten-year career. I mean, uh, look at. Um, who is uh, who is a linebacker from Green Bay um, that now plays in L.A. I uh, played at USC. He was in um, uh, Matthews. Yeah, Matthews. I mean, he was. You know, I mean, but you know, look at his lineage. I mean, but a lot of these guys. I mean, and you know, uh, Luke in Texas. You know, childhood hero J.J. Uh, Watt. You know, another one. You know, I mean, those guys yeah, were all kind of late, late bloomers. Yeah, Got to correct you there, adulthood hero. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you guys were still in your childhoods. Mm. Basically, but, but, so there is. There's just a lot of. I think. And that's where you talk about not giving people the kind of self-limiting belief because you have to be able to look at people and think, this is a, um, uh, and I'm not an endurance athlete, but I use the marathon versus sprint uh, analogy all the time in terms of success in general is a marathon in, you know, in every aspect, unless you have some sort of virtuoso type talent. And in sports, it absolutely is a marathon. It's uh guy who I've gotten to be kind of friendly with over the internet, this guy, Zach Deshant, who's at Texas Christian. And uh, he wrote a book called Movements Over Maxis, or Movement Over Maxis. Really good book. Trains mostly baseball guys at TCU. But one of the things that he talked about is, you know, a kid who starts training in eighth grade and just works out two days a week from eighth grade through high school will get 500 workouts. And you realize 500 workouts is a lot of workouts. And it's a lot of head start. It's a lot of kind of water to run under the bridge in terms of, and you, you know, if you can get that kid to do that, as I've been experimenting this with my son and his friends, and we're probably getting to the 300 mark now. You know, we started in seventh grade and it's crazy to see the physical development of these kids who just are consistent. They're not, there's nothing particularly special about what we're doing, except for the fact that we're extremely consistent. 
And that in and of itself is huge. Um, is, there a, is there an age where um, like all of a sudden training and sport and all that kind of clicks on for certain kids? Like, uh, like my little boy's turning four and I've been trying to find a wrestling program. So I finally got a, co- um, there's a bunch of wrestling clubs around here in Austin. And I finally reached out, um, you know, been trying to, you know, catch one of these guys. And the guy's like, you know, we just don't have a lot of four-year-old little boys who have like the mental ability to be able to put 15, 20 minutes in and, you know, kind of went through this whole thing. And I was like, well, at what age do you see that most of these kids kind of uh, like where you see a flip of the switch? He's like right around like seven and eight in second grade, like all of a sudden they become more cognizant and like now we can kind of talk and start working with them. And I was like, well, I'd still like to bring him in to see if it's something he's interested in just cause, um, Steve, I don't know if you know, Steve Neal, but, uh, he played, you know, uh, was a, a, a wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. Played for the Patriots. So yeah, when, when I was at the Eagles, he was one of our uh, practice squad guys. And I remember he had never played football. He had wrestled and then, um, you know, was an Olympic, you know, kind of collegiate wrestler and then went on to play a decade for the Patriots. And I think he started wrestling as a pretty young little kid. I think you want to say like three, four, five years old. And uh, he was like, man, it's probably the best thing I could have done. So for my son, I'm like, okay, you're almost four. Let's see if we can get you into a wrestling deal. But it's pretty interesting to see like, uh, you know, at what age do they start to kind of grasp? I mean, you said your son's like 13, 14 years old. At what age did you start training with him? He started at 10 and it's interesting, but at 10 and then probably at 10 and a half, we stopped because initially he wanted to do it and wanted to be around and I want to come and I want to train. And then it was like, you know something, I, I just would like to play with my friends and, you know, and be outside. I don't really want to go to the gym. And I was like, okay, you know, we don't want to, I don't want to fight with you about going to the gym at 10 years old. You know, we'll, we'll pick it up again later. And probably somewhere like in that 11, 11 and a half year, we've kind of started going back again. And I think the biggest thing with kids is the, if you just think like, general athleticism like i love like at four years old i'd be looking for kinder gym yeah he, he of, does that yeah no he, he yeah. goes to gymnastics and he swims yeah. yep. like I, some uh, way to tumble and to yeah. move around and to develop spatial awareness and body awareness and not know because i remember with my son we took him to judo uh my daughter we took to judo when she was i think 10 or 11 because we have one of the best judo schools in in the world is a mile from my house and uh you know ronda rousey when we went ronda rousey and kayla harrison were coaching the kids wow. at the time my daughter used to go there we did not know at the time that they would become who they became but they were this there training you know they were the judo people that worked out and my daughter won the state championship in judo my son was i think one class clown and everyone thought he was extremely amusing and funny but he had very little interest in judo and very little interest in wrestling with anybody else or being anywhere near involved in this stuff. And, you know, it was kind of like after all, okay, he really, really doesn't want to do this. So we're just not going to go anymore. And we didn't, but now he's turned into a really good athlete at 15. So it's, I think sometimes with kids, it's, and boys are going to be later than girls. Girls will, will definitely click on a year or two ahead of the uh, boys and be much easier coach and easier to deal with. The boys, we see it at like in that 11, 12 range. I feel like the time it starts to make a difference is when you start to realize that people are going to get cut from teams. Because up until that point, there's no real incentive in terms of kind of everybody plays and, you know, everybody gets a chance and everybody gets a turn and it's all good. And then suddenly you realize, wait a second, when I start getting to high school and we saw it this year, so my son's a freshman and all of a sudden kids got cut like, 
it's like, okay, this kid didn't make the team. And you think, God, this poor kid, he's 14 or 15 years old. And his athletic career just ended. There's, there's nothing for him unless he figures out some other activity to play. And, and I think that, you know, when you start to realize that impending, like, Hey, you know, there's a, there's a train coming down the track here and, you know, I got to figure out how to deal with that. It's so 11, 12 with the boys is a really, is a great time because the lights start to come on and it's a lot of fun prior to that. It's, you know, take your hands off him, leave him alone, stop pulling his pants down. Don't hit him. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it ends up being, I always said the, the most annoying kids possible are like, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old boys. I would do anything to never have to be around them again in my life. Uh, <laughs> my daughters are eight. They're, they're in second grade and uh, it's pretty awesome. Like when they come home, like we're sitting at dinner, I'm like, so what happens? And the stories they have of the boys getting in trouble are hysterical. Like oh, the yeah. things they say in this and like, you know, this boy and like, there's all these kids. And I was like, are there any good little boys in there? And they're like, no, they're all terrible. And like, it's, yeah. and then like, I listen and I'm like, and like, as they're telling me these stories, I, I kind of start to laugh and my wife gives me these like dirty looks, but I'm like, I don't know. Sounds like a good time. These kids, these kids know how to party. But, uh, I, I always think for my son, um, you know, he's got two older sisters. I had two older brothers. And so our favorite pastime was like wrestling and punching each other. So like for him, I'm like, man, like, uh, like when I was four years old, like that was my favorite thing to do was try to tackle everybody or punch them or, you know, to, to battle in that situation. And so I don't know, it just, it probably carried over. Oh, it probably did. But I always think, you know, the, the bad part, and I, you're an adult now, so it won't, I, I won't overly insult you, but I always think like, if you have a four year old, that's really aggressive and wants to wrestle everybody and punch them, that's probably not good. well in today in the 70s it was okay not a model for success in school you know it's the uh well i I always joke that uh things in the 70s were a lot different than they are today i'm like the things that were okay when i was you know probably in the late 70s early 80s was fine and today's market not so much yeah because uh we used to have the hockey fights watching the hockey games so me and my brother same thing i was the middle and there'd be three of us and we'd have we'd, you know, watch the Bruins games and have hockey fights in the basement. And you know, again, like a lot of those things are, are frowned on in these days in school. Now the kids get, my son got in trouble. Like he got in trouble once for running, he got in trouble another time for jumping. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm like all that mad at him. Cause like he ran in the hallway or he, he jumped up to try to touch the door. <sighs> or is like, Mike, I, dude, is Mike, isn't there a, a pizza bar in Boston that only shows hockey fight highlights down uh, by yeah, the garden. Right across from the garden, yeah. I don't know if it's still there. It might actually have finally gotten bought out because that area has just been exploding. But yes, for a long time, that's all they had on on TV all the time. I can't think of the name of like. It's great. Yeah. That sounds like a place to go drink at. I'd be, yeah. I'd be in. Eventually, getting a oh, fight, yeah, no, probably, like, dude. Yeah, like you know, seventies era Bruins. You know, up probably into. It was probably like 70s to 90s mm-hmm. fights, you know, and they just have a continuous loop. Dude, the thing that always tripped me out is those guys weren't wearing helmets. And so they would throw the gloves off and just, you know, go after each other. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Mike, Mike I want to kind of boomerang the conversation. Early on, we talked about how your clientele shift shifted towards this general pop. And one of the friction points, as a lot of us who've worked with the general pop know, is this... The idea that like, okay, there's a bit of redundancy that makes training effective, right? But then this redundancy ultimately risks boredom 
amongst your population. So what, what are you doing to keep your training interesting if you're pulling out some of the, the sexy circus tricks from the C word? Well, you know, and it's funny, I would, uh, I, I really like the old, the late Charles Poliquin used to talk about variation without change. Yeah. And that seems to be a redundancy in and of itself, but I don't think that it is. And it's sort of like, okay, how many different ways can we split squat? Because a lot of times the client just doesn't want to do what they did two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And by making it different, you know, whether it's, okay, you know, we're going to hold a sandbag, we're going to hold double kettlebells, you know, we're going to do eccentrics. Like we've literally sat down and said, all right, let's, let's think through is there, are there 12 potential renditions of this program that we can go through? And, and that's what we've done. So if you look at our adult program, it's, there's a, you know, an ISO phase and there's an eccentric emphasis phase and there's a complex phase. And then there's like our normal, kind of 12 week progression of what we would do just, you know, the, the simple, like, you know, make the weight heavier type stuff, um, you know, increase the number of reps, decrease the number of reps, but we've been able to do that so that people can look at it and think, yeah, I know we do like, we do a lot of rows, but we do a lot of different kinds of rows. And I know we do a lot of squats, but we do different kinds of squats and we do lots of split squats, but we do different kinds of split squats. And, and sometimes it's a matter of playing around, okay, like, you know, tools, landmine, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, you know, let's buy a bunch of those landmines or whatever, you know, you want to call those gadgets. And, um, and you know, same thing with sandbags, you know, and then we went out and bought, you know, what we call lever bells, what some people are going to call maces, you know, like, is there a way, can we change the tool or the method of resistance and make that exercise feel different enough where we maintain that level of interest. And that's where we've been successful. So for us, we're going to be able to look in, but there are some things, I mean, yeah, squat can get redundant. Kettlebell swing can get redundant for people, but you have to really try to, to make it not the same. And we do the same thing. Like we, you know, we'll progress our plyos. We'll, you know, everything kind of, we'll, you know, keep following this cyclic nature, but, I mean, eventually if you've been like, some of our clients have been with us for a really long time. And it's like, there's only so many ways to throw a medicine ball. There's only so many ways to jump over a hurdle. There's only so many ways to, you know, bend your knees and get your ass down towards the ground. It's so, Mm -hmm. but that's why I'm always looking. Like I love to watch, you know, the influences this, you know, cause sometimes someone will come up with something and you'll think, Hey, that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. You know, Zercher sandbag stuff. Great, great way to change things up for people. I don't like Zercher squats. Like I'm not going to have somebody squatting 225, you know, in the crook of their elbows because it ain't very comfortable. But I'm very, very good with, you know, giving somebody, a, you know, a 20 or a 30 or a 40 pound sandbag and having them hold it. And they come away thinking, wow, that was really different. Mm-hmm. And I could look at it and think, yeah, I guess it was really different. But if we looked at the angles that we were at and what happened, I would look at it and think actually it was really the same. In terms of <laughs> it was a squat. I remember years ago, there was a barbell that, that they designed so that you could zert your squat. And they were like, oh, give this thing a try. And I, and I was like, no, still hurts. Yeah. This is still awful. <laughs> I, still, yeah. n- now you're just going to send me a $400 barbell with some weird like angles in this thing that I can only use to zert your squat. And it still hurts just as they bad. They just hot glued a squat pad onto a squat bar. Mm. No, no. What it did is it had like kind of like a, like a weird oh, kind of yeah. like that a little crook. Like it would and hurt more. <laughs> it, it was 
awful. And I remember thinking like, nobody should do this. So that's how I was. It, so I used to look at that and think that's so stupid. And then I realized, well, in adult fitness, it's not stupid. Mm-hmm. And it's a way less stupid with a sandbag or even like with a Viper. Yeah. You know, I'm not a huge Viper guy, but we've got some Vipers that we bought just to play with. And they're really good for Zertratus style stuff with people. And suddenly I realized, hey, you know, we can Zertrat split squad and we can Zertrat squad. And we, you know, there's, there's ways that we can continually try through playing with our tool array to make this just different enough where someone thinks that's not what we did last week. And I guess similar, similar vein, another dynamic of the, um, the general pop is like this just ongoing thread of training, right? Like this undulated kind of volume intensity, like you're saying, like it just kind of goes, but every month, every week, you have a half dozen to a dozen to 30 new people jumping into that program. Do you take any uh, specific considerations in onboarding and uh, getting we, folks ready? We try very hard to, to have everybody complete phase one. You know, like I always tell everybody phase one is phase one. If you get here and that's a big struggle because the bad part about the adult population is all they want to do is what everyone else is doing. Bingo. So we could, you know, I mean, it's really almost to the point of stupid in terms of the way that people, they're doing that. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, I know, but you know, you're not ready. Like they don't want to hear you're not ready for that yet. So that's a constant struggle with us, with people. And that's a constant struggle with us, with, um, you know, with both our clients and our trainers. Hey Mike. So I thought up a good, um, of a good uh, question for you. So a- as you know, and I think we're all aware of those who follow it, like you-, you feel compelled to kind of step in and call out bullshit and like to stir up, I think a little, like kind of poke the, the bear a little bit, but also provoke thought in the person that's talking. Right. And um, your perspectives changed here with your new client base. Would Mike from six years ago, listen to some of this and poke the bear a little bit and challenge some of what you're saying? Or do you think that you'd be receptive? Um, I probably would not be receptive. I said, I'm always hundred percent right until I realize that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and that's why I say that like people, it's funny because I constantly get accused of, uh, you know, you're always changing your mind. And, and then I, you know, I have this, the standard again, my standard elevator response is that I'm very happy to be criticized for learning. Like that's okay. I have mm-hmm. no problem with that at all. Um, I am constantly, I think if we're not, if we get to a point in the field where we're not learning anymore and we're not having at least some change in what we believe to be true, then, I mean, we should probably check out. We probably should be like, all right, I'm all done because. Well, in strength and conditioning, it makes sense. But like last night, I don't know if you saw the, the democratic debates. I mean, they were lambasting Bloomberg for how he handled like the stop and frisk and a lot of the issues for New York city. And he's like, I was wrong. I came in, I thought this was the best way. And, uh, you know, after realizing that it was harmful, we, you know, we made a change and man, these get like the, they were literally, cur- I mean, I'm not a Bloomberg fan, but, um, it was just amazing how they like were curb stomping him because he had success as a mayor and everybody's going to have success and failures. I mean, you can't say he didn't clean up New York city and it was just like, they were fucking lambasting him. And he was like, I made a mistake. I learned from it. I'm, you know, but people are so keen to like hold you to what you said. And I always think, man, if like, 
if I don't learn and my information hasn't changed over the last couple of years, then I was a fucking hack then and I'm a hack today. Well, it brings me back to the original CrossFit football talk, which was a gallon of milk and a wheel of cheese a day. <laughs> fucking, I never <laughs> said that. I've got the document. Witness, witness wheel two, of cheese a day. That's right. It was two gallons of milk. I fucking, <laughs> what I said was. A gallon if, of cheese. If you want. So <laughs> what I said was a gallon of milk is equal to about 2,500 calories. Uh, 2480. Yeah. 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 If you want to put on body weight, drink uh, like an eighth or drink whatever it is. I think it was like, uh, uh, what was it? It was like 10, 12 ounce glasses or I think it was like, tw- yeah, I forgot how it all worked out. It was but I was like, milk, roll the Oreos. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, how I heard it. So what I said is just drink and like eat your normal diet, but just supplement with a bunch of glasses of, of whole milk. Yeah. And uh, that was my thing. And then these guys are like, well, yeah, where are you telling people to eat like a sleeve of Oreo? I'm like, no, yeah, I've a bunch never of glasses. That. What is that? 20? Is it 20 <laughs> a bunch? <laughs> but when you think like it's amazing, but people, you know, when you say to people, chocolate oh, yeah. milk and suddenly like, someone goes after you, you know, like you told somebody, you know, arsenic cocktails, you know, would be the way to go in terms of. <laughs> First of all, anybody that's mad at chocolate milk is a moron because uh, chocolate but milk. There's uh, a lot of morons in our field. There's a lot of people. I mean, they're going to get really upset that, that we would recommend chocolate milk as a supplement. And the other thing I say to people like that's why, like, take a walk in the real world with me just for a couple of days and realize, you know, like be around 14 year old boys. Right. Watch them eat, you know, uncrustables and potato chips and realize that like like if i can get them to chipotle that's a huge win yeah right if Um, i can get them to drink a water instead of dr pepper that's a huge win you know and people would look at me and be like you know you're a loser you're a bad coach you're a bad father and i'm like yeah you're not any of those things you're you're a fake internet coach with no kids because if you're really living in this world that shit isn't happening you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. you know, it's just, and that's what I think, I guess it keeps, we keep going back to the same thing in terms of there's this false authenticity out there in terms of people who really, it's like, okay, you've never done this. And I want to be like, I want to be around people who have done this mm-hmm. and I want to listen to people who have done this. And whenever people, you know, like I always say to people like, you know, you know, the Dunning-Kruger effect kind of thing, you know, based on my two years of experience. And I'm like, both years. Wow. that's <laughs> All crazy. at once? Yeah. Like that you've, I mean, you know, since you got out of college, like you've been training people for two whole years and, and you've, I mean, and you know all this. Like, it's amazing to me how, your ability to garner all of this information in just two years when it's taking me, you know, double your adult life <laughs> to not know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? Well, I, and, uh, I told Luke, you know, Luke's a new dad. And um, I told got him, it like, figured out here, Mike. So I'm if like, you need any parenting I'm like, advice, I'm like, lie, lie to your daughter or lie to your kids before they figure it out. So I, I told my daughters, I was like, you know, uh, everybody eats like this. Everybody eats me. And I kind of like set up this perfect diet. And then all of a sudden they got to the point where they were like, we talked to our friends and nobody else eats like this. And I was like, what? You know, or uh, like we call chocolate milk special milk. I'm like, do you want some of the special milk? And I've kind of like built this allure and I'm like, oh, you know, we got to ration the special milk. And it's just like these things. And then all of a sudden they become like eight years old and they're like, I talked to our friends and nobody has special milk. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got this special milk takes 
months to make. You can't just go uh, to the store and get special milk. Uh, the, the other day, my daughter's like, you know, when I was like, what's your favorite food? And she said chicken. And I like threw up in my mouth a little because I despise chicken because having eaten so much of it. And I'm like, really? Chicken? Like not these like kick-ass, stay classy, like amazing bison steaks. And she's like, no, I just kind of like chicken. I think we... We eat those steaks a lot. You know the dry just, stuff, the overcooked stuff. Dad? I was just like, uh, like head, like first of all, Burn. you're the only person I know that overcooks a steak. <laughs> Eats your overcooked steaks. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, and that's the stuff that you, you know, it, it's just really easy. And that's why I always said, like, I've learned so much about training middle school kids in the last five or six years because that's what I've been doing. I've been training middle school kids, mm-hmm. and we do so much stuff that we don't do with everybody else. In terms of, we do a lot of bilateral lifting. We just do deadlifts and goblet squats and chin-ups and bench presses. And we have the most boring vanilla program that you could ever possibly encounter. It looks nothing like I love it. what you might think the Mike Boyle program looks like. <laughs> but what you realize is that, you know, these kids, these are kids who are loving this boring vanilla training diet that we're administering to them. And they're thriving on it. And you kind of think, hey, I'm going to save the good stuff for later. I'm going to save, you know, the special milk and the, you know, all <laughs> the, the really cool things are going to come in somewhere down the line here when we really need them. And, you know, because they're not bored. Because that's the other thing. We, we as coaches get bored. I don't think the trainees get bored nearly yeah. as much yeah. as we get bored. Yeah, that's a great well, point. Well, especially if you're adding weight to the bar. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, like, hey, you could go squat three sets of five, and if you do it at 100 pounds, 105 is a different weight, and it's a different adventure. And it's like not like, eh, no, we're not squatting it. No, we're still squatting, but we're squatting heavier. And, uh, I, you know. Is, you know, we talk about this all the time, or we've been talking about this a lot in our staff meetings, is you have to realize, too, when you're in the fitness business, there are a lot of what I'm calling check-the-box people. And they just want to check the box. I worked out today. And, you know, if they did three sets of five at 100 for 10 weeks, they don't really care. They just want to be able to go home and say, I checked the box today. I went to the gym. I worked out. I moved around. I, you know, I warmed up. I did the stuff I was supposed to do. I got on the bike at the end and I did some conditioning. And I'm really happy with myself. And we talk to our coaches all the time in terms of realizing that just because you're not happy with them and just because it doesn't meet your idea of what the workout should be doesn't mean this wasn't the greatest experience of their day. And so you, you also have to be able to look at that part of it and realize that we're different than our clients in an infinite number of ways. And, and the more we get into the general population, the greater that difference becomes in terms of, you know, when we were first training athletes, you kind of like, oh, these, you know, these are everybody's like me. Everybody thinks like me. Everybody acts like me. And then you start to realize, well, actually, the talented ones don't. They're, you know, I was a grunt, so they, we really don't think like them at all in terms of they've never had to work at anything, and they're just better than everybody else at it. And and they're harder to work with because of that. And then you look at the other person who was never really good at anything, and is just kind of happy to be there. And you, know, you've got to be able to. It's the same thing. You've got to be able to balance all of those. You know, it's like the, the plate spinning guy. I got to get the video of the plate spinning guy because I think it's a really good analogy in terms of a lot of times you're going to have three or four plates spinning and all you got to be doing is just kind of, okay, I got to get over here and put a little spin on the uh, the adult fitness plate and then I got to get over here and make sure that my, you know, my sports performance plate is still spinning and then my middle school kids here still spinning. Like I haven't dropped any plates. 
I'm doing okay. And that's a lot of the business. And again, like same thing, like we have people talk about the business of strength and conditioning who don't have a business. It's like, well, that's really great that you're going to tell me how to run my business, except you don't have one. Like you, you don't do this. Mike, I got one quick question for you, but I need to provide some context. So currently coaching middle school lacrosse, and we just lost our goalie because he got tired of getting pelted. So my question is based off your experience with middle school, raising your kids, and then going back to your NHL experience working with goalies, can we coach, teach, train crazy? Because I've never met a goalie that's been a sane person. So how do I find the craziest kid on my team to throw him in goal? You know, or unfortunately, sometimes you have to just find somebody that wants to be on your team and will accept the pelting. The other thing <laughs> you need to remember with these kids is that in really good lacrosse, you don't get hit because they try to not hit you. So you, uh-huh. you can encourage your goalie with the idea that just so you know, as this game gets better, you're going to get hit less and less because everyone's going to try to not hit you. And it's interesting because someone told me that because my son is, is that's his best sport, you know, and it's like, I remember somebody and I was like, I never thought about that. He's like, yeah, like the really good goalies, you know, in college, it's pretty rare that you get hit because these guys, their whole objective is to not hit you. Like you are the impediment to the goal. So <laughs> yeah. they're not going to throw it at you. Well, and if they hit you, then you text away that that's a save. Right. right exactly. Yeah. But and that's what I mean. And so they're, they're going to try really hard to not hit you. And, but that's also where sometimes, you know, um, practice organization matters in terms of realizing that, okay, if we're going to do stuff with a goalie, we're going to use tennis balls. And so we're not going to pelt that kid and realize that, okay, I've, I've driven this kid out because I've got a bunch of kids, you know, say my son's age, you know, 13, 14, who are trying to work on how hard they can shoot. And they don't care if they hit you. No. Well, they probably think it's funny, too. They're like, I'm going to hit that guy in the nuts. Listen, kid, it is pretty funny. You only got nine more years of this. You'll be at year 10. But that's that's part of what I'm afraid of. I am changing the trajectory of potentially a kid's life because I make him a goalie. Mm -hmm. Again, all goalies I've ever played with, psycho. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you probably just have to look for like the pace eater, like the weird kid over there eating paste. <laughs> Miss and Lippy. you're like, yeah, you look over, you're like, hey, you you want to stand there where I throw hard things at you? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Exactly. Just punch him. Hey, does this hurt? No. Okay, you're yeah, in. The Homer Simpson test. <laughs> that's right. You got you got to look for the kids who wanted to play receiver at the rock fight. I mean, that's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was good old rock fights. That was one of our favorites. We used to throw dirt clods, and then occasionally <laughs> there'd be a rock in there, and you get pelted. You'd be like, "That was a rock." Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shit happens. I'm thinking like at our our local playground had a huge field, and they would aerate it, right? Like with the the core aerator. Yeah, yeah. And you would just, I mean, that the day after that was essentially heaven. You go out there, it's like <laughs> unlimited ammo, and you just pelt <laughs> each other. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah, good old dirt fights. Uh, now they probably get you arrested for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you got to go back. You got to you got to go back and love that goalie kid up and get him back in the fold. You got to be like, okay, we'll do we'll do more tennis ball work. You know, we're not we're not here to to kill you. And, uh, and you should and let him like pick the music. Do in terms of realizing that okay, this guy, you know, he's on our team. You know, mm-hmm. if we're gonna pelt somebody, let's uh, let's pelt the opposing goalie on Saturday as opposed to kill off our own guy so that we have to put a position player in the net or how about when you're working you're working shots and they're they're trying to light up their throw you get in there 
Well, based you're off the young my... coach. You're the young coach. Get out there. Let's go. No cup. I, just, I, I just, retired. I was going to recommend the, the, the big cup, actually. <laughs> yeah, the one over his face. The full body? <laughs> yeah, no, the one you drink out of. Like, you know, your chalice. Yeah. You need both. You need the neck guard and the helmet. And, uh, and Do, yeah, do goalies wear, like, a lot of pads? A negative. You got a, a cup, chest protector, and then a, an extra guard underneath you or a face mask. Because the idea is to be able to move free, but I don't know if we're at that level yet. Mm-hmm. And and it's really frowned upon, like the kids who wear, like if a goalie shows up with shin pads on and stuff, the, the kids are like, we're going to kill this kid. It's, I don't blame him, but yeah, we made fun of I that I don't kid. blame him either, but huh. it's, it's very much frowned upon. It's it's bad form to, the, the less, you know, the great goalies, like if you watch the players, like my son, I never noticed it. The PLL guys don't even wear shoulder pads anymore. The players themselves, like don't, it's like, you know, and those guys, they love to go out. You know, they they won't wear, even at my son's age now, they won't wear the shoulder pads that go over their shoulders. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't even know what they're actually wearing them for because they're not really pr- protecting much of anything. Just trying to show off they can take a hit on the side. By the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's a definitely, it's a little bit of an odd game that way in terms of you get, unlike hockey, like if someone kept hitting you with their stick in hockey, that would be a problem. <laughs> Yeah, it's no, lacrosse is legal violence. <laughs> yeah, lacrosse, like they can continually hit you and poke you, and you just have to sort of, your ability to take it is what there, part of the game. There was a saying back when I was playing in college, 90-10. It's 90% how you look on the field, 10% how you play. <laughs> so less less pads, the more, it's more about look than actual mm-hmm. functionality. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How'd you right. thrive? Right. Oh, I Last- look great. I got nothing else. I, I thought it was great no, talk. You got something, Tex? I, I would just want to highlight on your Instagram, and I think this is hilarious. Under your bio, you put actually coaching every day. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. Like, that's, that's real. Like, you know, because I look at some of these bios, and I think, like, you know, I want to, like, type in underneath in the comments, like, total bullshit artist. Doesn't coach anyone. <laughs> you know, never has coached anyone. And... It's, it, have, it's have you been crazy. looking at Luke's profile? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All my coach talk. <laughs> I thought, uh, well, what did yours say? Life's a garden, dig it? Uh, no. A father. <laughs> uh, uh, what, are, what, what do people say? Probably father, world-class strength coach. High school football coach. state champion. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, peaked in junior high um, <laughs> financially and, I guess, socially, uh, among other things. You know, the, the important shit, Mike, the important stuff. <laughs> that's what I'd say. Mine says millennial wannabe and actually coaching every day. Like, <laughs> what, uh, what's the latest generation, like, uh, after the millennials? What's the next one? Um, uh, I asked Cole this, and he didn't know. Our, our intern's 19. I'm like, you're not a millennial, are you? Like, what's your generation? And he didn't. He's like, I don't are know. Are they Generation Z? Is that what they're calling them? That I think that's a thing. It, it is Z. Generation Z. But there's... Me with a little random knowledge right there. Huh? Look at you, you pop it. culture. You did it. We're wow. doing it, Jerry. We're doing it. All right, Mike, we'll let you go, man. We know you got things to do, people to see, athletes to coach. Thank you for your time uh, chatting with us. It was good. Good one. Maybe we don't wait another six years. All right. Okay. I was going to say, let, let's shorten this up to two. Let's, let's, <laughs> get one, let's get one book for 2022. Well, we don't want to overbook you. <laughs> but I think we're in. Yeah. Sounds I'm, good, I'm Mike. I'm America's podcast guest, so I'm really liking it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. You're doing it. As I can. 
You're doing it. And thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can check out Coach Mike Boyle and Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning under the handle at Body by Boyle. And I think it's safe to say that if you start calling yourself a seasoned expert with only two years experience, he may just find you first. Until next time, bye!